Hello, I'm Alison Hilliard and welcome to The Word, the series where we invite our guests to talk about their lives through the lens of their favourite passages from the Bible. Each of their choices will be read by the actor David Suchet. My guest today is a self-confessed show-off. She's been called a model poster girl for religion and the nation's favourite vicar. That's all thanks to her appearances on the Channel 4 show Gogglebox that films the reactions of families up and down the country as they sit on their sofas and watch TV. She was signed up to the show after leading a flash mob dance while taking a wedding in her church. That went viral on the internet with over 6 million views, even ending up on the national news. Now, two nights a week, when Gogglebox is running, she's filmed watching television at her home in the vicarage, right here on this sofa, along with her husband, Graeme, and their greyhound, Buster. Our guest, of course, is the Reverend Kate Botley, the vicar of Blythe, Scrooby and Ranskill, all former mining towns in North Nottinghamshire. Kate, you're very welcome to The Word. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Now, here we are on the sofa that viewers have come to identify you with. No Buster, he's now lying in the corner. (laughs) Yeah, he knows his place. He's sort of rattling around um, and settling down for his uh, afternoon nap, I think. But you are wearing your trademark collar as a vicar, and we have got tea made, and we've got a tea cosy. Tell me about the tea cosy. Surely you don't knit them all yourself. This one, I might say, is of Jesus. (laughs) No, I can't actually knit. um, Fans send them in, and most days the postman shouts, you've got another one! Do you have a favourite one? I'm quite fond of the Yoda tea cosy at the moment. I think that Master Yoda's quite a good role model. Let's go a bit further back, though, from tea cosies and your sofa and your dog. Your husband's not here either. Um, Back to when you were ordained, Mm -hmm. 2008. Did you ever think at that point that you would end up sitting on this sofa commenting about the television programme of the day? No, absolutely not. I don't think... How could I... I mean, I ran into a friend recently who was on my selection conference when I was first sort of put forward to being a vicar. And I bumped into him and he said, Oh, did you ever think you'd be where you are now, 10 years ago, when we first met? And I'd say, no, of course not. And Gogglebox is a crazy idea anyway. But did I expect God to be using me in really interesting and creative ways? Of course. That's what I signed up for. Not just when I got ordained, but when I became a Christian. That's what you sign up for. You sign up to be used by God for his glory and his gospel. But you started all that in quite an unorthodox way. You grew up in Sheffield, not a religious upbringing at all. We were just a normal working class family and we were christened as babies, but we were never sent to church and my parents didn't go to church, not even at Christmas or Easter. But what happened for me was that I came to faith. I had a moment where I went from being a person who didn't believe to being a person that did believe and that massive transformative conversion experience for me. But that transformative experience was because you went to church in the first place, I believe, because you fancied the person who would become your husband. Now, he happened yeah, to be the bigger I, son. I saw this boy at school that I liked the look of, and I said to my friend, who's he then? And she said, oh, that's the vicar's son. I thought, well, I might start going to church then. <laughs> so I only went for a snog and ended up with a dog collar. It's not quite what I had in mind. But what is it? Woody Allen said, one of the ways to make God laugh is tell him your plans. Well, let's hear the first Bible reading you've chosen today. It's from 1 Samuel, chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. 
and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Love it. And Samuel then, of course, hears a very uncomfortable message mm. about Eli and his family and what will happen to them, and he goes on to be a great prophet. Now, why did you choose that reading about Samuel and Eli? Um, for me, Samuel's got no business being called. He doesn't yet know the Lord. He's a child. He's a servant. He's not the main man. The main man is Eli. It should be Eli that's getting the big gigs, not Samuel. And so this idea that God calls people who have no business being called in those ways. He calls the most unlikely people. So tell me how you came to being called. Um, you sound like it came as a surprise to you. It really did. And it's only now that I look back on it, I think, oh, yeah, that's always that. So off I went to be an RE teacher, and that wasn't supposed to happen. I was supposed to be a geography teacher. you know, And I wasn't really supposed to go to church. I only really went because of other people. So that wasn't really supposed to happen either. And then what happened was I ended up in a Roman Catholic college. I had no idea it was a Roman Catholic college until the first day at university when I was sat in the chapel and the crucifix was there and I thought, what's going on here then? And so I ended up embracing a whole different tradition within the Christian faith that I wasn't expecting to embrace, which has stood me in wonderful stead as a Church of England priest because I was coming from a fairly conservative evangelical church. And then very, very slowly, very, very gently, there was this sense of wanting to do something for God. And so by the time we we got married in 90, oh, this is going to show me up, 98? I'm looking at you like you know the answer. Um, when, by the time we got married and started having children and that sort of stuff, and Graham and I started worshipping in a church that wasn't our home church where we come from. We made our own path out there because we thought that, that was important to not be the vicar's son anymore. So we were Mr and Mrs Botley in this new church with a little family, and and God was nudging, definitely. And I used to cry a lot in church, I remember. And I thought perhaps that was new babies and all that sort of stuff. And I remember a friend said to me, why do you get so upset in church? And I said, because I, I feel like I need to do something. She said, well, what do you want to do? So well, I want to feed people. And so there was a big nurturing thing going on. I was feeding my own children at that stage. And there was a whole sense of wanting to feed and nurture. And I presumed that must mean helping serve communion. And I knew that the church wardens were allowed to hand out the chalice and the pattern. So I thought, I'll do that then, because that must be it. And perhaps if I was behind that rail, handing out communion, that would feel OK. Now, I know now, looking at that, that that was a call to the priesthood. But at the time, 
it didn't occur to me that God might be calling me. But am to I do right that? in thinking that actually when your vicar at the time did suggest you become a priest, oh. you actually thought he was going to proposition you? <laughs> this was just so. So I went to be church warden. I was the world's worst church warden. So my vicar at the time said to me. Okay, I need to talk to you. I said, oh, yeah, sure, Mark, no problem. We'll have coffee. And he went, no, 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 I'll take you out for dinner. Like, oh, no. What's this all about? And I went, is the other church warden coming with? No, just you, just you and I. So off we went out for dinner, and the whole evening we made small talk, and it was slightly awkward and a bit datey, actually. It felt a bit like a date. And then at the end of the night, we pulled up outside my house, and um, I could see Graham looking through the curtains, giggling at us and pointing and laughing. And Mark looked really, the vicar looked really nervous, really kind of awkward. And he turned to me and he said, I've got something I need to tell you. I thought, here we go. And he said, I think God's calling you to ordination. And that moment when he said that, it's difficult to articulate really, but it felt like the best news ever and the worst news ever all at the same time. It felt like the penny dropping, but someone finding out a secret about you that you wish they hadn't found out. So I went into the front door and Graham went, well, what was that all about? I said, Mark thinks I should be ordained. What do you think? And he went, well, of course you should. I was only waiting for you to realise. And that's when all those kind of things that had happened in my story so far started to feel like they might have been that voice that Samuel heard as well. But he just misheard it. (laughs) And yet when you did train to be a priest, when you did go to study, you didn't find it that easy? No, it wasn't an easy path. It was nailing your colours to the mast. I was going to be a vicar. I was going to have to behave myself and change and be different and grow. And I was going to have to do difficult things like funerals. And I was going to have to try and say wise things to people when I didn't have any wise words to give. And people would look to me to be that pointer to God they were going to look to me to make the straight path for the Lord they were going to ask me to do that for them and to be there in all those key moments in their lives they were going to ask me to provide the words where there were no words and what if I didn't have anything to say and yet comedy came in even at that stage too didn't it um I believe that you had some sessions on how to be a stand-up comedian when yeah. you were when you were training yeah. and I suppose that's no different really or the skills might be the same very when similar preaching. skills like you said I'm a desperate show off I'm not frightened to talk to anyone and nothing gives me greater joy than to have a lot of people looking at me and listening to me honestly I know it sounds crazy but as a small child my mum used to say oh she's a terrible show off our Katie Stop showing off, Katie. And it was like it was a bad thing. Being a show-off was a bad thing. And it was a thing that you should play down, you know. You mustn't say things like you like being looked at. You mustn't say that you like people listening to you. And actually, here I now was going to be in a very public position where people were going to look at me and listen to me. And even if it was only 30 people on a Sunday morning, they were going to wait and sit there and hear what I had to say. And just like the call to ordination, that was both the most brilliant thing I'd ever thought about and the most terrifying all at the same time let's have your next reading and it's from the gospel of saint john chapter 2 verses 1 to 10 on the third day a wedding took place at cana in galilee jesus's mother was there and jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding when the wine was gone jesus's mother said to him they have no more wine woman why do you involve me jesus replied My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby 
stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 litres. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. That's my kind of saviour. Turning water into wine at a wedding. And is that why you chose that particular passage? Because I know you're a big fan of weddings. Oh, I love weddings because I just, I'm a passionate believer in the yes of God. I think if we can possibly say yes, then we should. Because when couples hear the vicar say yes to something, they hear the church say yes, they might just hear God say yes to them. But your first moment of media fame really came through a wedding too, didn't mm. it? You were taking a wedding in your church and suddenly... <laughs> we started dancing. We burst into dance, this flash mob dance that the bride had organised eight weeks of choreography for and rehearsals. I didn't go to any of those, aren't I? Terrible. I sort of freestyled it, if I'm honest. But um, that wasn't universally popular, but we did that, you know, and there was quite a lot of criticism came in. So who was it unpopular with? Did you get support from your parishioners, from the church hierarchy, or who was it unpopular with? So uh, when things go viral, they go beyond your control of course so not just national but international as well and once something's on youtube and out there you've got very little control over it almost overwhelmingly people in the village and the parish were extremely positive there was one person out of all my three churches that wasn't happy so i took them out of coffee we had a chat we agreed to disagree but the criticism came from people that i'd never met by and large my bishop was happy as far as I understand, the, the Archbishop saw it and he was happy. <laughs> yeah, people that I'd never met who failed to understand that this wasn't just about showing off. This wasn't just about giving them what they want or being famous or being on telly or any of that. This was actually about a joyful celebration of the bride and groom's love for one another and God's presence. Was it also about you showing off too, though? Well, there's always going to be a bit of that, isn't there? Of course there is. And I'd be a liar or naive to say that, of course, there isn't a bit of the Kate Botley show about it. Of course there is. But it's almost to me like God's gone, oh, oh, you're a show off, are you? OK, if you want to show off, I'll help you show off. And it's like he's taken all those things, which, of course, has a bad thing about it. Of course, ego and all that sort of nonsense comes into play. And you have to be really careful about that stuff. But I want to be a show for Jesus. We see it in stained glass windows. We see it in icons where the disciple that Jesus loves is at the bottom of the cross and they've got those big long fingers pointing up at the cross. So you look immediately at the person at the foot of the cross and then you look at where they're pointing and you go, oh, look, it's actually... My danger is to not block that, is to not get in the way of the cross and to make sure that every single time that's where it's pointing to. So let's have your next reading, and this time it's a reading from Ruth, chapter 1, and verses 9 to 18. It's about the widow Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, who are also widows, and Naomi decides to go back to her home in Bethlehem and tries to persuade the two women, her daughter-in-laws, to go back to their mother's home and find another husband there instead of coming to Bethlehem with her. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. 
Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons. Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. You see, you've got tears in your eyes. Absolutely. How can you not have tears in your eyes listening to that story? It's such a beautiful piece of scripture. As a woman prays, that sense of sisterhood, that sense of other women batting for you and supporting you and loving you and sticking with you is just phenomenal. It's just so beautiful. It's such a gorgeous passage. And, you know, some of the harshest criticism I get can be from other women clergy, and that hurts a lot. But some of my biggest champions are my fellow female priests. What would they be critical of you about? Well, the easy answer would be to say that it's tinged with jealousy, and I think that's partly true. I mean, you'd have to ask them, but there's often echoes of letting the side down and not doing it properly and being too superficial and silly. And that's one of the most painful things, when people accuse me of not taking seriously what I do. So that hurts. That really hurts, because I am completely serious about the task that God has given me as a priest. My ordination vows are the dearest thing to me. Those vows that I made to serve the Lord are just the equivalent vows that that Ruth makes to Naomi. You know, it's not a game. This is not silliness or a game. This is serving God as best I know. And, of course, you're very clearly identified as a priest on Gogglebox. Yeah. There you are with your dog collar yeah. on. Identified for the slippers and the tea cozy <laughs> too, but it's clearly that you're there a, yeah. as a priest. Why did you say yes to that offer when it came along? Oh, I've asked myself that several times. I said yes because the only vicars I could see on telly, by and large, weren't even real vicars. They were people pretending to be vicars. They were actors and actresses. And I thought, wouldn't it be good if we could get a vicar on telly who actually was a vicar, but wasn't necessarily, even though, you know, doing worthy documentaries, I've done one myself, you know, brilliant things to do, religion and ethics department, yay! But... Wouldn't it be great if we had a vicar just on normal telly being normal? Wouldn't it be brilliant if people could see that actually people of faith are normal? They just happen to have a faith. Because what I hear is that lots of people would like to have a faith, but they don't think it's possible. They don't think you could be a normal, rational human being and actually have a Christian faith. But how much did you wrestle with the fact that it might also trivialise the very yeah. faith that you Absolutely. wanted to highlight? Oh, and that's a very valid argument, you know, and one of the arguments that I keep having to ask myself is, it got beyond now? Have I gone beyond the point of actually making the point that, is this still gospel stuff or is this just ego and silliness? Yeah, we prayed long and hard about it and I talked to all sorts of people, some of whom said, you must be mad, don't do it. They'll trip you up, they'll edit you badly. A lot of clergy have a, a suspicion of media 
and a suspicions particularly of stuff that's reality tv and that because it's frivolous and silliness and it's not going to make any difference but i think most people aren't watching worthy documentaries on bbc4 the viewing figures tell us that so to be on something that's big and popular perhaps there was a gospel to be preached there too i think it's true to say that often the church is very wary of the media is there a danger in which you cross that line if you like and you become part of the media and leave the church behind you do have to watch yourself. When I did the Judas documentary, we have runners in media stuff on TV and things who go and get you things. Runners are the best people in the world. So you kind of go, oh, I really fancy a can of fizzy... And off they run to go and get you whatever your heart desires, which is usually just a, a banana and a cup of tea for me. But, you know, I'm guessing proper famous people have all sorts of crazy demands. And I remember... I was filming the Judas talk and I wanted someone to hold my coat and I remember just kind of going and holding my coat out at arm's length for the runner to come and get it. I caught myself and thought, Kate Botley, what are you doing? You arrogant so-and-so. Catch yourself on. And God has a wonderful way, you know, of keeping us humble. When the flash mob broke and I was getting all these calls from all over the world, all the media organisations from all over the world phoning to ask for interviews and I had a phone call and the voice at the end of the phone said, uh, is that the Reverend Kate Bolly? Yes. This is Penny from Sky. And I said, OK, Penny from Sky, listen to me. I'll do your, in- your interview, but I can't talk right now. I'm on the school run. So if you email me through the questions, I'll prepare the interview and we can do it. And Penny from Sky paused on the phone line and then said to me, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm phoning to see if you want to update your Sky Sports subscription. <laughs> and it was like God going get down keep yourself humble it's not all about you you know so yeah you do have to be careful because that world is very much about surface and the way we look and red carpets and all that silliness which is all very lovely but actually it's about whatever you're called to do doing it with your body heart soul and mind and giving that to god So let's have your final reading then from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, Kate, you're in tears again. (laughs) Again. I spend quite a lot of my time in tears. (laughs) It's, um, yeah, I mean, that's a reading I come back to time and time again. 
and we had it at a wedding, we had it at the children's baptisms. I read it more times than I care to remember and it's the do not worry stuff. So what do you worry about? Because the key message of that reading is do not worry. What worries Kate? I worry about my bread for tomorrow. I worry about, well, you worry, don't you, as uh, anybody does, about your family and your own health and your own well-being and you worry that you're going to burn yourself out. You worry that you're not doing everything you should be doing and that you're letting the side down, you're letting God down. And I can cope with people being disappointed in me. I can cope with people criticising me, but the thought that I might not be serving God wholeheartedly worries me. So is there the little inkling that that might be the case because of the media profile you now have? Yeah, it's tricky and it's a massive balancing act. Um, The thing you have to come back to is that bit in the passage. So you, you hold the do not worry, which is easier said than done, with the seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and to carry on seeking God. Because after all, at the end of all this, whether my time's up in the next five minutes or in the next 50 years, I'll have to answer one day. And I hope to be able to stand before him when he says, what did you do in my name? And I hope to have a decent list. What will tomorrow bring, do you think? I have no idea. (laughs) Strictly come dancing. (laughs) No, no idea. I have no idea what tomorrow will bring. and, And it might all be over. This might all be over tomorrow and my phone might never ring again and I might not get another email or another, we're really interested in talking to you about so-and-so project. You know, I might not get another one. And that's okay because for today I am. So I'll do this for now. So there's no game plan here because I I know you've started to present documentaries. For example, you went to Jerusalem to present a a documentary on Judas Iscariot. Yep. And that was great. And I had an absolute blast. I'm hoping to give more time to thinking about the media stuff, to do deliberately what seems to be happening naturally and to be more sort of proactive and thoughtful in this. But I honestly don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Kate Butley, thank you for being our guest on The Word and for being so honest (gasps) and for sharing your tears and also your laughter (laughs) with us. Um, I think it's time for me to leave the sofa and make room for your dog Buster to come back. His own Twitter profile I hear. Yes, he, he had more followers than my husband at one time on Twitter, which my husband was very disgruntled about. His nose was out of joint that the dog was more popular on Twitter than him. That's not the case anymore, but Buster knows his place. Time <laughs> for a new tea cosy, some new slippers. There's always room for a new tea cosy. New I've actually started putting them into the raffle at church occasionally and people win them now, which they seem to like. Thank you very much. It's been so a pleasure welcome. talking to you. I'm Alison Hilliard and you've been listening to The Word on Things Unseen, the platform for people who think there's more to life than the purely material. Things Unseen was brought to you by CTVC. And you can hear this programme again and find other editions of Things Unseen at www.thingsunseen.co.uk.